We've been talking about prayer, and uh, we began that last week, and uh, we may continue for a few Sundays, and that is the, as we uh, pray about God's direction, we sense God is reminding us as a church body that whatever we do is only going to be as good as we pray and as we sense and understand God's direction for us individually as a, and as a church. One thing about prayer is that uh, I don't think there's too many people who are uh, believers that uh, would not recognize the importance of prayer in our life. Jesus, when he says in Matthew 6, when you pray, he assumes you pray. When he says when you fast, you, he assumes that that's part of your lifestyle. Prayer is communication with God and its very essence. It's us talking and having relationship. If you're going to have a relationship with anybody on this planet, you've got to, there's got to be some form of communication. God has ordained the means of prayer as the way that His people and He communicate together, the way that they interact and have intimacy in that relationship. But as we have, uh, uh, as we grow as believers and as we uh, seek Him and direct Him, there are times in which we will admit, maybe if we're honest, that what we're praying for and what He might be doing, sometimes we're not always in sync with that. And usually the problem isn't uh, with us. Usually it's, it, I mean, it, it is with us. It's not with Him. Uh, you know, it's us being able to hear and get a sense of God's direction and understanding. It's kind of like when somebody says, I feel so far away from God. And, you know, well, who moved? God is always where he's been. You know, what's, what's the difference? What's, who's created that distance there? You may have heard the story, but I, it reminded me as I think about praying and being in sync and connecting with the purposes and direction of God um, the story is of a very religious man who was once caught in the rising floodwaters, and he climbed onto the roof of his house, and he prayed and believed God was going to rescue him. A neighbor came by in a canoe and said, the waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll paddle to safety. The man said, no thanks. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. A short time later, the police came by in a boat. The waters will soon be above your house. Get in and we'll take you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he's going to save me. A little time later, a rescue service helicopter hovered overhead and let down a rope ladder. And the announcer and the, the PA there from the helicopter said, The waters will soon cover your house. Climb the ladder and we'll fly you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he's going to save me. All this time the floodwaters continued to rise until soon they reached above the roof and the religious man drowned. When he arrived at heaven, he demanded an audience with God. Ushered into God's throne room, he said, Lord, why am I here in heaven? I prayed for you to save me uh, from the floodwaters. I trusted you to save me 
from that flood. Yes, you did, my child, replied the Lord, and I sent you a canoe, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter, but you never got in. You know, sometimes we're like that. We're, we're expecting God to do one thing, and God's doing what He's doing to provide for us, but our minds are not in sync or in step with what God is doing. Perhaps uh, some of us can relate to that. Prayer, as I said, in its very essence, is connecting with God. I want to connect with God more. I don't know about you. Maybe there's some here today that you just, you just, you want a more intimate, meaningful relationship with knowing God. I hope that, and I believe that's one of the true marks of a believer is a desire to know God more. If you don't have a desire to know God any more than, you know, than you walked an aisle someday, one day, and you filled out a little card and shook the preacher's hand, and maybe you got baptized, and you got a letter of congratulations from the church, and that's the extent of it. Don't rely on that as a basis for knowing God because you did some religious thing. I believe that the, one of the marks of a believer is a continual desire to know their Creator, a continual desire to have fellowship and intimacy with God. God has ordained prayer. Um, so in your Bibles, we looked at Mark eleven seventeen. And I'm not going to read the entire context, but just used the verse there that uh, we're familiar with. And if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and make note and turn to Mark chapter 11, verse 17. Mark 11, verse 17. And the context is when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he entered into the temple area. And verse 17 says that, and as he was teaching them, this is when he turned over the tables of the money changers that were there in the temple, and we talked about that last week and what all that meant. But he says, is it not written? That means the word of God. He's quoting from Isaiah. He says, it is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of, what? Prayer. House of prayer. Now, we know that God does not dwell in a literal house. He, uh, by the Spirit, dwells in our lives. Uh, but in just using that as a, as, a, as a theme, I believe that God, as He is directing us as a church, we need to make sure that we're in step with what God is doing as a church. Because if you've been around church life for very long, you know churches are really good at coming up with a lot of ideas, a lot of plans, a lot of schemes and how to be great and how to reach the community. But I wonder how often it is when they say, but have we ever sought God? Have we ever asked God, what is your will? What is your purpose for us as a body? What is your purpose for my life? And so we're just talking about that a little bit, doing a little more teaching this uh, Sunday morning and last Sunday morning to make prayer a priority at Grace Church. And by making it a priority at Grace Church is not just adding a bunch of prayer time to the calendar. That's not what we're talking about. You can do that and say, oh, look, at us as a church, we're a praying church because we've got prayer scheduled all these days. Well, maybe, maybe not. We're only going to be a praying church when the church, who's the church? It's not the building. It's us that we are seeking God. 
and praying. And so just as we begin the new year, we're going to spend some time and maybe next Sunday if the Lord directs and spending some time talking about prayer, not guilting about prayer. Prayer is kind of like giving. Immediately people feel because you never sense that you're doing what God wants you to do. We're not here to guilt anybody, but to let the Holy Spirit through the Word of God motivate us, right? Motivate us and saying, you know what, the, the best among us can always do more. And doing more, not saying I've got to earn God's favor. We don't believe that around here. But we do believe, as I said, the mark of a healthy, growing believer is always wanting more of God. And one of the ways, again, as God has ordained that, not only through the Scriptures, but is through developing a relationship and intimacy through prayer. And we want to encourage each other. You encourage me to do that. And so we began last week. We... uh, uh, stopped uh, part way, and I want to pick that back up. But just quick review of last week. Uh, the message is on the website, so you can uh, listen to that uh, if you want. But we talked about, or we're talking about seven answers to this question why pray? Why pray? And we said, first of all, and these aren't in any particular order, but one is has to do with the vision the vision of our church. There can be no unified vision without prayer. We can have unity, but not operate as a unit. There's a big difference. You can have unity, but you're not operating as a unit. A military, a successful military uh, operation operates as a unit. They may all have the flag and they all may salute the officer, but if they don't function as a cohesive unit moving forward in mission to the same goal, they will not be effective. So how does this vision occur? It doesn't occur by going to certain seminars and workshops and the latest uh, church growth scheme. There may be some helpful information in that, and there always is. But when it's all said and done, if we're not hearing from God, Speak to us, O Lord. Tell us what direction. It might be different than what some church down the road is doing. It may be different than the latest and greatest program of how to build and grow your church. It may be something very unique, but we want to hear from God. And I believe, just like individually, when we hear from God, when we get a word from God, some of you know what that is, some of you don't. But when we get a word from God, we know that God has spoken to us in this situation I, I receive great confidence to move forward when I know that God has spoken, okay? So vision, there can be no unified vision without prayer. The church goes forward on its knees. We can't engage in ministry and prayer for God's blessing on it. Prayer is the ministry. Let me, I mentioned that last week. Let me make that clear, is that it isn't that we're Uh, We're praying to find out what the ministry is. Prayer, when it's all said and done, prayer is the ministry of the church. Prayer is the ministry of the church. I'm glad that you agree with that. Thank you. All right, number two, not only vision, but secondly, why pray has to do with worship. Worship, if it is going to be transformational. We talk about transformation. We talk about transformation, the path to transformation. But ultimately, transformation comes by an encounter with God. Teresa mentioned Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. 
and saw those angelic beings, holy, 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 day and night. He was transformed by the presence of God. I have found that there is so much that happens when I'm willing to engage and enter into the presence of God in worship. We think worship is just kind of the preliminaries, just get through the, the songs and get to the... No, worship is what this is all about. Preaching and its very heart is an act of worship. Giving is worship. Praying is worship. Singing is worship. It's all about honoring and, and exalting God. So if worship is going to be transformational... If it's going to be more than just singing our favorite songs and it's going to have an impact in our life, then it must be based in prayer. Prayer and talking about intimacy with God. The goal of prayer is intimacy with God Himself. It's not the getting of stuff, but it's intimacy with God. I quoted the old Puritan John Bunyan who said, Prayer will make a man or woman cease from sin or sin will entice a man or woman to cease from prayer. Little prayer usually is reflective of your spiritual life. At least it is for mine. Thirdly, we mentioned about stewardship. Stewardship. We don't have a money issue. We have a prayer issue, right? Uh, Long before there's a money problem in a family or in a church, it's usually just... uh, a evidence of a prayer problem. The conditions of the church are not gauged by how many activities and month and things that we do or even by its monthly financial statement, but I believe that the health and well-being of a church is gauged by whether we are connecting with God in prayer. And so that brings us to number four, where we'll pick up this morning on the fourth reason of why we as a church should pray. And the fourth reason is, has to do with our evangelism. Our evangelism. We're thankful that in the history of Grace Church, we have done a lot of evangelism. And we have still outreach. We have a various outreaches that we still do. But I am not motivated by just a busyness in doing a lot of activity and calling it evangelism if we are not as a church... We are not doing that out of a motivation of saying, God, we want to reach your people. We want to reach the loss in our community, but we want to do it in a way that we don't just reach them. We want to keep them. (laughs) Big deal. You went and had 300 people in an outreach and not one of them show up or connected with anybody in this body. Listen, it's easy to go on weekend maneuvers and feel good that you did something. It's harder to connect with somebody and lead them in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that in discipleship. That's more difficult. You know why? Because that takes sacrifice of our time. We'd much rather, and some of you, you know, and I've done it too, you'll, you'll hear of something happening, you'll say, well, I can't be there, but let me write a check. That's easy. It's hard to come out and connect and involve and invest your time. We should invest our time, talent, and our treasures at all times. But our time. And so when we talk about evangelism and prayer, we must pray for unbelievers. We must pray for those who do not know Christ 
as their Lord and Savior? Do you have people? How many of you have people in your immediate family that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? All right. Some of you don't have your hands raised. You got them too. I don't raise my hand for nothing. It's a trick of charismatics. All right. It's a trick. Are you praying for them? Are you praying for them? Are you praying, God, in your sovereignty that doesn't wish anyone should perish, God, in your sovereignty, bring somebody into their life. Open their eyes. Reveal to them your glory. And in revealing your glory, again, quoting Isaiah, when I see God in His glory, I see me in my sinfulness. You see, a person can only see their sinfulness if it's been revealed by God in contrasting who God is. I don't know how dusty the house is as long as I keep it dark and have the shades drawn. But when I let the light in, guess what? It reveals everything. Does it not? When I allow the light of the gospel to come into my life, when I have that encounter in worship prayer with the Creator who made me and saved me, it reveals what's going on in my life. Reveals sin. With the unbeliever, they can't see their need for a Savior until they see their need. How are they going to see their need? And this is where I just want to make a little comment here because sometimes we have to, to kind of push back on sometimes the myths of what we are able to do as individuals and as a church. There's some things in evangelism that God has not, not called us to do. Listen carefully. We cannot, we cannot help others realize the desperation of their situation or convince them that God exists. That's not in our power. It is the Holy Spirit that must do these things. Men and women are willfully ignorant of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 5 says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and through water by the word of God. What is he saying? He's saying what Romans teaches in the first three chapters is that humankind, mankind, the hearts of mankind are hardened because of sin. We cannot penetrate those hardened hearts. It's only the light of the Holy Spirit that can do that. We are not called to do that. That's God's job. You with me? Secondly, we cannot, it's not in our power to convince unbelievers of their sinfulness. We can persuade and use the Word of God that the Spirit uses, but ultimately it is the Spirit that convicts humanity of their sin. It's the Spirit that does this. Before He died, Jesus foretold of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you what He said In John chapter 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Whose job is it to convict unbelievers of their sin? You? No. It's the Holy Spirit. This is the one area, I think, where we really get it wrong and we mess up and we create a a bad impression for the church because we feel like it's our job to convict everyone around us who may not be leading a life or may not be walking with Christ that we're going to convict them of this sin. And that's what happens when we take 
and we make the gospel just kind of a moralistic teaching. It's the Holy Spirit that can penetrate dead hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that can regenerate. What happens when we talk about regeneration? To regenerate. You got a dead battery? It needs to be regenerated. It needs to be made alive. The Holy Spirit can do that and does that. That's part of the job of the Spirit. It's only the job of the Spirit that can bring conviction of sin. Some people say, oh, I don't like that church. They're they're too legalistic. No, what they're reacting to is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You remember when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached that Spirit-filled message in Acts chapter 2? And at the conclusion of his message, it said, men, speaking men generically, were cut to the heart. It was like a dagger of the gospel went right through them of conviction. And they said, what can, what must we do? That's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit when it encounters the conviction of the Word and Spirit operating together. When you and I step into that role, guess what? We become legalistic, harsh, hard-hearted, and we are stepping into the role and the job of the Holy Spirit. That's not a good place for us to be. Let the Spirit do what the Spirit does. I love uh, something Jim Cimbala said. Jim Cimbala pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and they produce all that wonderful worship music. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read it twice because it, it may just take two times to catch it. But listen to what he's saying. And he's speaking about the church. Quit trying to lead sin out of people and start leading people out of sin. Do you see the difference? Quit trying to lead sin out of people and focus on leading people out of sin. Where's the focus? People? You shouldn't be doing that. You need to quit doing that. People will conform and can conform to behavior. Right? I mean, people and churches are filled with people that have conformed to a certain code that somebody wrote out and said, this is what it means. You do, you know, this is how you behave. Okay, I can do that. But inwardly, relationally, they are far from God because there's never been a transformation of the heart. Here's an example you probably have heard. When we focus on the externals, behaviors, and correcting those, it is like you never taking a bath, you just put on new clothes every day. After a while, that which is inside is going to what? As the King James said when Lazarus was in the tomb, stinketh. Religious religion, and I'm using that kind of in a stinks. That's the reason people are turned off with the church. Because you know what? They're smelling our spiritual B.O. Now there's a concept. 
I won't take that any further. The Holy Spirit said, stop while you're ahead. And my wife's giving me the scissors down here. Let me give you one more thing that we cannot do. I'm talking about what we can do, but what we cannot do. And again, all I'm trying to emphasize is the power is in the Spirit. We cannot convince anyone of the necessity and the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. We can't... We, Again, you can win an argument, but whatever argument you win, somebody can come along and win another argument. Whatever you talk somebody into, somebody can talk them out of it. But when the Spirit of God reveals, when the Lamb of God opens the seals and brings revelation, man, there is something that you can't get back. I mean, there is something dynamic that takes place. That's the reason some of you have piddled around with religion until you found Jesus. Oh, you were a member of this church and that church and dabbled this, that, and the other. But when you found Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. It wasn't just swapping one religion for another. It was encountering the Lamb of God and the only Lamb, the Lamb who opened the seals of truth into your life. A man, a woman needs the grace of the Spirit in their heart before they can see the beauty and the necessity of Christ. Remember, listen to this. It's Just listen. Let me read it. It's Isaiah 53, 2. Speaking of the prophecy of Jesus, it speaks about prophetically about the Messiah, and it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, humankind in their sinfulness will never desire Christ until the Spirit of God reveals his beauty before our eyes. That's what we can't do regarding evangelism. And that's where sometimes we fall into this trap of kind of coming up with new methods and new gimmicks and new this, that, and the other. And all we begin to do is we just begin to create methods of gaining crowds. Read John 6 sometime. There was a great crowd. When they heard that there was a free lunch, Jesus feeding the multitude, guess what? You had a massive crowd. It's kind of like here. Our attendance goes up when there's dinner on the grounds. We should have it every Sunday. We'll have great attendance. But when Jesus, around verse 66, began to speak about the terms of being a follower, and he talked about no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And something you do, something that God has to do first. Why are we talking about this in the context of prayer? Because we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. <laughs> Amen? God, open the eyes of my brother, my uncle, my neighbor. God, open their eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Let them see not only who you are, but see who they are in relationship to their maker. And so God delights in using our prayers to accomplish His purpose. There's some things when we pray, we're talking about evangelism, that we should pray. We should pray for salvation and pray that God would grant that person a 
a heart that is receptive to the truth. Pray that God would use circumstances, specific, general, whatever, to bring people to the realization of their desperate need for Jesus Christ. That's how we should pray. Pray that God would confirm what we are saying through other people or circumstances. Isn't it amazing when God is working in someone's life, maybe this is true with you, that when God began to really focus in on your, I mean, He was drawing you to Himself, you couldn't get away from it. Everybody you got around was a Jesus freak. What is happening? Who set my radio station to that? That's, you know, and I mean, God just began to to just kind of bring the walls in. There's no escape. No escape. We should pray that God would remove the false peace that individuals have. Grant them repentance. Pray that God would put people in our lives Something that, that, let me just emphasize that. Pray that God would put people in your lives that you can share the gospel with. When I say share the gospel with, I don't mean, okay, A, B, C, accept Jesus, believe, confess. Maybe part of how you... We're not selling vacuum cleaners. It isn't memorizing some, you know, ten points and how to, okay, I run through this deal. Yes, know the word of God. Because there's power in the Word of God. No, and being able to know what the gospel is. But pray that God would put people in your path that you can begin to share and open up words of the light of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, thank you, God bless you. Thank you, I needed that today. Really. Well, tell me. I mean, don't do it when you got 12 people behind you in Wawa trying to get their coffee, you know, at 7.30 in the morning. But use wisdom. But be ready to give an answer and be ready to be used by the Holy Spirit. That's all we're talking about here is say, Lord Jesus, I'm willing and desiring for you to use me by your Spirit. Fifth is discipleship. Why pray? Because we cannot become mature disciples without prayer. I mentioned earlier in John 6 that when Jesus speaks about prayer and fasting, He says, when you pray, when you fast. The assumption is is that if you are a disciple, if you are a follower, you pray, you fast, you you engage with God in, in, in prayer. Prayer is part of following Jesus. Prayer was part of connecting and developing that relationship. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, to train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. One of the ways or weights that, that, you know, gym memberships have just gone through the roof, you know, in January. And, of course, you know, they'll kind of level out around February, Valentine's Day, when everybody's, you know, going out to eat and whatever. And then March, oh, yeah, I have that membership, you know, and we kind of do that. Don't do that with your faith. Don't just make these great, these great goals on January and the second week and remember what they are. Train yourself to be godly. How, does, how do we train ourselves? We train ourselves by Developing a life of prayer. We take time to pray. Prayer is what we call a discipline. 
A discipline is one of the ways we can call a discipline is a holy habit. That you have the habit of engaging in prayer with God. Prayer is not so much submitting our needs to God, but submitting ourselves to God. That's an important distinction. Prayer is not giving God our laundry list, but hearing and saying, God, what is your list? What is your will? Not, the, not my will be done, but thy will be done. No desire to pursue godliness. No desire to pray. No desire to read the word of the Lord should be an indicator like the lack of oil in our car, that something is wrong. Why pray? Six, His power. There will be no infusion of supernatural power without prayer. You want spiritual vitality in your life? Spiritual power? When I say power, I mean, I mean the strength of, and the, the breath of of God in your life. Um, when you feel the, if I could use this phrase, you feel God's wind on your back spiritually. You're, you're walking and you know that when God puts you in situations or even when the bottom falls out in a, in a family or a job, you sense the peace and the presence of the Spirit of God. And God gives you wisdom and you think, wow, where did that come from? That's the Spirit and the power working in our life. I want that. I want more of that. In Acts chapter 1, just listen to this. Before, of the, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, the church was gathered together. And it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, before the power came, what did they do? It says, then they, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath Days walk to the city or from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying and they all joined together constantly in prayer. Well, we know because we didn't understand what happened in chapter 2. When the power came, it came as a result of them putting themselves in alignment to receive what God wanted to do. You see, when we pray, we open the Word, when we engage in our relationship with God, we're aligning ourselves and positioning, our, positioning ourselves to receive from Him. I gave you the example last week of Zacchaeus, who in PC terms was height-challenged. You know who Zacchaeus was? He had to climb up on a tree to see Jesus so that when Jesus came down his path, he would encounter Jesus. What did Zacchaeus do? He positioned himself so that when Jesus came by, guess what? He wouldn't miss him. When you and I pray and we spend time in the Word and they say, God, speak to me today. What are we doing? We're positioning ourselves and saying, God, do not pass me by today. I need your power. I need your strength in my life. I need wisdom. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. And last... Why pray? Because there's a war going on. There's a battle going on. If you're not aware of that, you're probably dead. Or you're not a believer, because usually the enemy only bothers people that are on his side. Do you ever realize that? How 
Satan, the devil, the adversary kind of gave you, kind of let you off the hook when you were on his side, in his team, right? But you crossed over and you changed allegiances and all hell broke loose. Wait, this is what I signed up for. I thought I was supposed to have happiness and prosperity all my days and wonder, what happened? When you went from darkness to light, and that, again, was a work of God, you became a poster on the devil's post office wall. Most wanted. I want to destroy this person. Because I know that when God, or the devil knows this, he doesn't know God intimately, intimately, but he knows more about God than some Christians supposedly do. That's what James tells us. And he knows this, that when God changes a life, he doesn't just get that one life, but guess what? He gets all the people that that life's going to influence. That's the reason, dads, the devil wants, you, wants to destroy you. That's the reason he wants you to be consumed with garbage in your mind and heart. Because when he can destroy you, guess what? He gets your wife, he gets your children, he gets your grandchildren. He gets the whole download. Why do we need to pray? Because there's a war going on. We will not succeed in defeating the devil. And yes, I believe in a literal devil because Jesus believed in a literal devil. Read Matthew 4 sometime, as well as other many scriptures. And as long as the devil is permitted to live, listen to this, pay attention here, the church is going to have problems. You want a church with no problems? Stay home, lock yourself in a closet. But that won't do any good because you got problems, so you're, you're, you, that won't help you. Um, the devil is always looking to stir trouble up. And so that's why we need to pray. One of the things that was, and I'm thankful this is not true in this church, but one of the things that was seemed to permeate the early church was division in the church. Division in the church. The enemy wants to sow gossip and discord and dysfunctionality and get the church off its mission. Get it out of focus of what God has called it to do. We need to pray. I love Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know who she is, who... The story of the hiding place, the movie that was made several years ago. She says this. Listen to this. When a Christian shuns fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. When the Christian stops studying the Bible, the devil laughs. But when he stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. Why is it in military strategies one of the key first hits is to take out the ability to communicate with the troops on the field? That's one of the first targets, right? Look, I played with G.I. Joes, I know. Because if you can destroy communication from headquarters, what's going to happen? Absolute chaos. Why is there chaos in our nation? Because the church is in chaos. The church has become more consumed at building bigger and better identities that they think are somehow going to impress the world. The world is not going to be impressed by our stuff. They're not. 
The only way they're going to be impressed is when the light of the gospel opens their eyes and heart and sees the beauty of Jesus. And we can get so distracted by so many things, and the enemy is still well served by our distraction. You remember how the early church prayed in the midst of persecution? I mean, listen, their lives were on the line. And this is how they prayed. Acts 4, 29 through 31. Lord, consider their threats and and enable your servants, them, to do what? To be raptured. No. What did they pray? God, you know their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And it says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. My friends, if you are fixated on some particular individual running for president as the savior of this nation, you are more deluded than you realize. What should we be praying for? We should be praying, God, enable your church to walk in power and anointing of the Holy Spirit to speak your word boldly. We are probably more closer to the early church was in its culture than ever before, and it'll probably be more so, because the culture will always be hostile to truth. How should we pray? Elect this person. Throw out this group of people. Please, people. God. Give your church power to speak your word. To walk in the anointing and power of your Holy Spirit. Whether they're Buddhists or Muslim or Jehovah's Witness or whoever. Let us speak the word of God. You know how you change a culture? One soul at a time. Because I tell you, you get that lawyer or doctor or accountant. I don't want to pick on any group here because I'll get them all mad at me. Who doesn't know Christ. And they're a cheat. They're a scoundrel. And you get them, and God saves them, and they go from being a cheat and a scoundrel, and they become an honest businessman or businesswoman, and they operate a godly business that honors God and principles. Guess what? And you begin to see that change that happens over a culture. Does that mean we save the culture by? No, it just means that when you change the heart of a man or a woman, It affects not just where they go to church. It affects their whole family. It affects the way they educate, the way they learn, the way they do business. They're a bad, mean, cruel boss. They'll be a boss that honors Jesus and puts Him first. It'll be reflected in their life. And if it's not, it probably nothing ever really happened. They just became religious. We're in a war. We're in a battle. How does the church respond to the culture? We need boldness to introduce Jesus to a hostile world and believe God to confirm His Word with Spirit-filled power. And it will only come as the fruit of a church prioritizes 
prayer. Because at its very basic, we're saying, God, I need you. See, when we pray, we're saying, God, I need you. Who were the, who were the people that were the most receptive to Jesus when he walked the earth? The poor, the broken, the sick, people who were needy. God cannot use us when we just say, hey, you know what? Um, I got it. I got it. I don't need you. I don't need your wisdom with this decision, that decision. I, you know, I, I'm doing quite just fine with my children, even though they're, you know, hell on wheels in the neighborhood. I, you know, I, I got it figured out. God, I don't need your help. When you get on your knees, when we pray, and we say, oh God, I need thee every hour. Oh, I need thee, Lord. I need you to intervene in my family. If you don't change my husband's heart, my wife's heart, God, if you don't save them, my marriage will be destroyed. God, if you don't intervene and deliver my child from drugs, they will be destroyed. God, please answer my prayer. When we put ourselves before Him, He says, ask. Ask. Why do we not have? What does James say? The reason you don't have is because you don't ask. Why pray? Because that's where we receive vision. Worship becomes transformational. Our stewardship of resources is never going to be enough. People are one to Christ as we seek God in our evangelism. We pray to grow and become mature followers and disciples of Christ. We pray so that there's an infusion of the Spirit's power in our life. And we pray so that we succeed in the warfare against the enemy. The Bible calls the devil. There is a war. There is an enemy. There is a battle. As I started by saying is that prayer, prayer is relationship. Prayer is not activity. It involves activity, but it's, it's relationship. Communing, relating, connecting with Jesus. I came across this story and I thought it was, would be a fitting way to, to close this morning. A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. Listen to this. Don't, don't sneak out. We got the doors locked. No, we don't. A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. Now, as soon as I said that, Chris gets up and leaves. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I have to pick on you. All right, let's start this all over again. All right. A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. The minister assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit, and he said, oh, I guess you were expecting me, he said. And the sick elderly man said, no, who are you? Well, I'm the new associate pastor at your local church. Uh, When I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was going to show up. Oh, yeah, the chair, said the man. Um, Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the young pastor shut the door behind him. 
The old man in the bed, hospital bed, said, I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter. But all of my life, I have never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. I abandoned any attempt at prayer, the old man continued, until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. So here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair and place an empty chair in front of you. And in faith, see Jesus on the chair. It's not spooky because he promised I'll be with you always. Then just talk to him. And listen in the same way you're doing with me right now. So the old man who was in the bed said, So I tried it, and I've liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day. I'm careful, though, if my daughter saw me talking to an empty chair, she'd either have a nervous breakdown or send me off to the funny farm. The pastor was deeply moved by the story and encouraged the old man to just continue on the journey. Then he prayed with him and returned to the church. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her daddy had died that afternoon. Well, did he seem to die in peace? She said, yes. And she said, when I left the house around 2 o'clock, he called me over to his bedside, told me one of his corny jokes, and kissed me on the cheek. And when I got back from the store an hour later, I found him gone. But there was something very strange In fact, something beyond strange, kind of weird, Pastor. Apparently, just before Daddy died, he leaned over and rested his head on a chair beside his bed. Isn't that a great story? But you know, it just illustrates how simple prayer should be. Let's stand to our